Good morning. My name is Eric. Good to be the pastor here. Again, good to see all of you here in person as well as everyone watching online. Welcome, Gail. Uh, Everyone else who's watching online, good to see you. Uh, We're glad that you're here today. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And I'm going to have it up here, and we'll just go through a little bit on this, and then we'll pray and dive into today's message. We have been working through the Gospel of John, and now we find ourselves in chapter 20 as we wrap up this study today. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes." But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity this morning just to to gather and to sing to you, to pray, to welcome new partners into our community. Thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection. And as as we dive into your word, God, I just pray for open hearts and open minds that you give me the words that I need to speak. Lord, that everyone here would receive from you what you would have them, what they need to receive from you. In your name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. I grew up here uh, actually in the Maple Grove area, and I I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. Many of you uh, didn't have that same opportunity, but we grew up going to church every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night, and every single Wednesday night. And that was kind of my youth, and it was a great experience. Some of my closest friends came out of the church. Even yesterday, uh, one of my closest friends and his parents, who were kind of like aunts and uncles, because all my actual blood aunts and uncles were in Iowa. Um, I was actually able to go to their house yesterday out in Annandale, their, their cabin. We did some jet skiing, me and my son Joshua, which that was his first time today playing keyboards. Can we give Josh a hand? <laughs> Woohoo! Way to go, buddy. That was awesome. 
First time on a jet ski yesterday, uh, it was fun. He tried wakeboarding, didn't quite get up, maybe next time. Uh, but you know, they were like my aunts and uncles. We, we grew up in this church family and it was a really good experience. Then I became a high school student, got my first job uh, at age 14. I was bagging groceries at Erickson's New Market, which is in Wyzetta. And I remember that was my first time really interacting with kids and getting to kind of know, hey, you didn't grow up like, like me. What are your thoughts on faith and, and religion? And I remember this, this moment, man, I look back and I cringe. Uh, there was this girl I liked. Uh, she was so beautiful. And she came to me and told me that her friend had a crush on me. And I was back in groceries and we were talking. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I can't date her because I only date Christian girls. And that actually wasn't the real reason. It was because I liked the other girl. Uh, and I used my religion to like not hurt the other one. That was just a terrible, terrible thing. Like, what am I, what was I doing? So I was at age 14. And then age 17, I got tired of bagging groceries and got a job at Ridgedale uh, Mall uh, working at County Seat Clothing uh, Store. Anyone remember County Seat? Yeah, good, good stuff. Um, they went bankrupt when their CEO left the country with all their money. <laughs> so that's why they're no longer here. Uh, but that was uh, kind of my first job at a mall at age 17. And, and that was when I really remember people talking about religion and spirituality and different thoughts on sexuality and gender. And I remember I had a couple 17-year-old friends who worked with me. We were all seniors in high school. And they would talk about going every weekend and getting blitzed drunk. And they couldn't remember a thing, single thing they did. And I was like, well, how do you know you had fun? Well, I know it was fun. I don't remember a single thing I did, but it was fun. I was like, What? And, and suddenly, like, all this stuff was, you know, uh, like, what do I really think about all this? You know, I, I grew up thinking, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that was a great comfort as a little kid, but suddenly, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, wasn't cutting it anymore as a 17-year-old kid, talking about faith and, and sexuality and, and, you know, just how do we live our lives and all these things. So what happens that so many kids who grow up in a church and they hear this, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and then when they hit college, when they hit their 20s, that's not good enough, and so they walk away. It breaks my heart that I have so many friends that I grew up with in high school, we went to Christian camp together, that today are no longer walking with Jesus. Friends I went to Bible school with Studying to be pastors, and after a few years of marriage, decided, you know, this isn't, this isn't so fun anymore. I'm going to go find someone else and just leave their wife, maybe leave their kids. And, and with that, they leave their faith, and they're no longer walking with Jesus. What happens to all those kids who hear, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and then when they get older, it's just no longer real anymore. See, I think that's a great thing to tell kids, but... It's not quite enough for us as adults. Maybe some of you grew up going to church, but then you stopped going. And a lot of times I think that whenever you stop going to church, that's the Jesus that you remember. You know, maybe it's, it's camp Jesus. You remember going to camp and it's all excitement and celebration. Maybe you were crying at the altar or whatever, or maybe you just went to camp to meet cute boys or girls and then you walked away. And that's kind of your picture of Jesus or middle school Jesus. Or maybe you grew up sitting in big church with your mom, and you remember falling asleep because the church was so boring, and that's your picture of Jesus. But Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me, so that's really great for kids, but not so much as adults. And so 
The question is, why isn't that enough? Why isn't it enough that so many of our kids walk away from their faith? As I was preparing today's message and just thinking about wrapping up this Book of John series, I got to be honest, I got emotional thinking about why isn't it enough sometimes that, you know, we, we have elders in our church who once were a part of our church, and somehow that wasn't enough and now have left their families. That we had someone as a guest preacher in our church a couple years ago who was a pastor and has walked away from his faith and walked away from his family and trading in his wife for a younger model. Why is it these people who were small group leaders are no longer walking with Jesus? It breaks my heart. And so something needs to change, and that's what I want to talk about today. See, we don't believe in this whole idea of the resurrection simply because the Bible tells me so. And so I want you to kind of let go of what maybe you heard in your childhood. And let me tell you why we really believe that Jesus really lived and he really died and rose again. See, we believe in this story because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, the brother of Jesus, believed it. That Paul, who hated Christians, who was a Jewish rabbi, persecuting and killing men, women, and children, met the resurrected Jesus. And this man who hated Christians gave his life talking about the resurrection, that Jesus really was the Son of God, that he died and he really rose again, and he died for that. And fortunately for us, those who were around when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, they wrote down the recollections, and the early church put that together, and that became what's called the New Testament or Bible. See, we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells me so. That's the Sunday school answer. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because eyewitnesses wrote about it, they believed it, and most of them gave their lives for it. See, the resurrection changed the world. If you have questions about Jesus and faith and all this, I encourage you, I implore you to do a serious study. Pretty much every scholar will say, yes, Jesus was a historical figure. There's so many pieces of evidence outside of the Christian tradition about this rabbi, Jesus, who was crucified on a Roman cross. We look at these ancient New Testament manuscripts, and we have thousands of of ancient scraps that we can point back to and say, man, this is so much more accurate than any other ancient document. And so we know Jesus really lived. We know he really died. And the people that lived at that time, they wrote down that he rose again. So why should we believe him? That's the question for today. we got to ask, why did the resurrection event change the world? And if, if that is not deep into your heart and mind and soul, I believe that is what causes people to walk away from their faith. So real quick kind of history lesson. You know, in this time that Jesus lived and died, there were lots of different empires that were, were rising and falling. You have the Syrian Empire, and you have the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire now is controlling the world, and the Jewish people are living under occupation of the Roman Empire, and they are waiting for this Messiah, this promised one who's going to come. And John the Baptist, we talked about him 
And he shows up and says, he's coming, get ready, repent. This Messiah you've been waiting for, he's coming. And then walks Jesus of Nazareth onto the pages of history and he draws thousands of people as a crowd to walk him and he's healing them, he's feeding them, he's telling confusing parables. People are like listening to Jesus teach and he's like, they're like, that was amazing. What does it mean? I don't know, but it was really cool. And then even his closest friends are like, Jesus, what does this story mean? I'm not sure. And the Jewish authorities in that time realized they were losing the crowds. And then something changed that happened to everything. We talked about this on Easter Sunday in John chapter 10. Jesus raises a dead man to life, someone who'd been dead for four days in the grave. He calls him into life and resurrection. And Lazarus is now walking around, and the Jewish authorities, the religious people, are really worried. They're like, we have to do something. And in John 11, the people from different political stripes, the Republicans, the Democrats, they get together and they say, we have to kill this man, Jesus. We have to kill Lazarus because the people are going after him. And what's going to happen is going to upset our balance of power as well as the Romans. And they could come in and wipe us out. And this is not good. We have to do something. And religion and politics are mixing up right now. And so that's the story that we're walking into. And we have Matthew a tax collector, he writes down his story. And Luke carefully investigates all the claims and he writes down his story. And Peter tells his story to his protege, John Mark. And John, as we've been saying, he writes down his stories. And, and these documents come into being just a few decades after Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And so many, many eyewitnesses who witnessed those events are still alive. So Here's the thing is that if you were writing down the story of how you acted and you were making things up, you'd be very tempted to put yourself in your own light. I mean, we do this, right? We want to put ourselves in the best light possible. Like, we edit our lives on Instagram or our stories just to show the highlights. Like, we never, you know, show our messy houses or, you know, when we stop again at McDonald's to, to feed our family because we don't have time to cook or all these things. Like, we want to show the best light. If you grew up Catholic... You know the importance of Peter, you know, the, the first pope. He's the man. And if people were making this up, they would have painted themselves in courageous light, especially Peter. They would have spun things and say, man, these early followers of Jesus, they were courageous, faith-filled with sweet skills, nunchuck skills, computer hacking skills, you know. They would have written themselves into this story that way. But when you read the gospel accounts, how do they really come across? They're really scared. They're really insecure. They're really concerned about themselves, not necessarily Jesus and his mission. If they didn't really write these stories, if Matthew didn't really write the book of Matthew or John, the book of John, and some people claim maybe just their, their followers or disciples wrote the stories down about them, well, how would their followers write their stories about them? Like, you would, you would paint them in a really good light, right? You, you'd make them the heroes of the story, but when you read the Gospels, and, and there's the eyewitnesses there, you, you get characters that are unbelievably believable. They're, they're human. They're imperfect. They're, they're broken. You know, all four of the Gospels tells us that all of Jesus' followers, you know, they ran away and, be, and left Jesus to go through, you know, uh, his, his arrest and his trial by himself. And the Bible tells us one of his disciples, someone grabs his robe and he runs away naked. Like, this is in the Bible. Peter, great Peter, he denies even knowing Jesus to a middle school girl. None of Jesus' friends stick around for the funeral. The Roman Empire wins, Jesus loses. 
And about the burial, we talked about this last week. Who, t- who takes his body? Well, normally you didn't even bury criminals. You just left their bodies up on the cross to rot. How does Jesus even have a funeral? Well, a rich guy named Joseph, who's a secret follower of Jesus, he's a coward. And then a Pharisee, Nicodemus, they go to Governor Pilate and pay him off so they can get the body of Jesus and, and bury it. If you were making up the story, this is terrible fiction. If you, if you wrote, read like, you know, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, this is like the goblins and the orcs burying Thor and Oakenshield. Or if you're a fan of Harry Potter, this is like, um, oh, spoiler alert, sorry, uh, the Death Eaters burying Dumbledore. Like, this is what this is like. Like, you wouldn't have a Pharisee be the one to bury Jesus in his tomb. You wouldn't have a cowardly quiet follower of Jesus who's a rich man, be the one. You'd, you'd write a better story to make these disciples look a better light. And what happened here, we see that Jesus' enemies had more confidence in the Jesus movement than Jesus' own followers. See, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they go to Pilate and they say, hey, you've kind of uh, done us dirty here because we wanted Jesus' body just to rot on the cross to everyone to know that he is not the promised Messiah. But because you gave him the body and you buried him, well, now we're worried that his followers are going to steal the body. But if you've been reading the story, you know his followers are not going to steal the body. That is not who they were. They weren't, they weren't, if they weren't willing to die for Jesus while he was alive, they're not going to risk their lives for Jesus while he was dead. Why die for a dead man whose death disproved everything he asked you to believe while he was alive? If Jesus, our rabbi, couldn't save himself, then he can't save us. Why should we risk our lives for him? At the center of Jesus' message is Jesus. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life, and now he's dead. Everything he said about himself is, is a lie once he died. So why would those disciples risk their lives for him to steal the body to try to perpetuate this lie? If Jesus couldn't stay alive to keep the movement alive, why risk your lives to keep things going? There's no reason to steal the body. The last thing they were thinking about was to steal the body and come up with some story about how Jesus actually was alive. So to sum it up, we've got nervous religious leaders who are worried about what might happen. We have terrified apostles. We have despondent women and confused Roman soldiers. What we don't have is anyone anticipating a resurrection. Nobody was expecting to show up and find no body. Nobody was expecting to find no body. But here we are, 2,000 years later, gathering together in worship, gathering together in prayer, gathering together to then scatter and serve our city because, not because someone stole the body, not because just someone died on a cross, not just because someone gave a series of lectures and taught some good ideas, We're here because a bunch of women went to re-embalm Jesus because a bunch of guys did it the first time and they probably thought they didn't do a good enough job. Amen? And so when they show up, the last thing they expected was to find no body. And, And this is the message of John 20. And why I think, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to consider becoming a follower of Jesus was that nobody was expecting no body. Nobody expected this to happen. And yet, on that day, everything changed. Well, as, as we dive into this, um, I want to share a little clip of someone who's a much, much better preacher than me. Instead of me trying to tell the story the way he tells it, I'm going to show you a clip, actually over here, not over here. Um, about a year and a half ago, uh, T.D. Jakes 
and Stephen Furtick were doing this little um, gathering together. And uh, if you don't know, they're both big fans of the musical Hamilton. Any other Hamilton fans? Yeah. So they did this little thing where uh, Stephen Furtick gave a song title to T.D. Jakes, and then T.D. Jakes had to preach a like two-minute message on that song title. And actually, T.D. Jakes does a phenomenal job covering some of John 20 in this. So go ahead, and we're going to roll that video, and then I'm going to wrap things up today. But T.D. does a much better job than I can. So here we go. Next one. The room where it happens. Oh, God. Uh, Thomas coming into the upper room after Christ is risen from the dead. And he comes into the room having missed the initial uh, inaugural moment that Christ reappears to his disciples. Now he comes to the room. The power of being in the room will determine the destiny of his ministry and his life. He comes to a room that he enters into the door, but Christ comes through the door. Spirit enough to come through the door and man enough to eat fish inside the door. He boggles the mind of the disciples, but that was not what convinced Thomas to believe. What caused Thomas to believe, because otherwise Thomas would have thought he was a ghost. He says, reach hither your hand and feel the nail prints in my hands and touch my side and be not faithless, but believe. And all of a sudden, the doubting Thomas is converted only because he is in the room. Now, touch your neighbor, say, I'm in the room. Even if I'm in overflow. <laughs> in the room. One more. One more. Do you want to say more about that one? No, I can't. Because I was like, I was on a basic track. I was thinking, like, my shot is David and Goliath. But okay, yours is better. Look, what else is new? No, no. Or, or, or we could go in the room where they are mourning over the, the corpse of a 12-year-old dead girl. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus puts them all out of the room until nobody's in the room but her and Jesus and there alone he raises her up from the dead because he has gone into the room with her you know and can you imagine what it would be like to be outside the door and certainly hear the sound of ruffling feet and thinking to yourself who is that moving I hear the the scampering of little feet and I know it could not be this girl because I know she's dead I touched her and she was cold I touched her and she was stiff I touched her and I knew for sure that she was absolutely dead but I hear the sound of the scampering of a 12 year old's feet because she was in the room with the right person she got back up again so my conclusion is, if everybody forsakes me and everybody leaves my room, as long as Jesus is in the room, I can still get back up again. <laughs> so to all of you, to all of you out there who are weeping over who walked out the room, who left you, who forsook you, who did not stand there with you, as long as you've got Jesus in the room, you can still get back up again. <laughs> Don't think of nothing else, I'm running out. <laughs> One more? Yeah, do it. 
Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Early in the morning, the breaking of day, the women wrapped themselves up to go down to the tomb. Loyal to a Jesus who has become extremely controversial, has been executed, not crucified, executed on the cross. And yet they are still going down, even though he did not do what they thought he was going to do. These women rise up early and go down to the tomb. Only when they arrived at the tomb with the dew on the ground and the mist in the air and the fragrance of death still lurking in the inner chamber, the stone has been rolled away. And sitting on top of the stone on each side is an angel saying, he is not here. He has risen from the dead. And the question then becomes, since he is not here, who tells the story? This woman comes running back. It is totally inappropriate in a messagenic age that a woman would be the first one to carry the message. But there are some times and some seasons that you have to break the protocol of the day because Jesus was looking for somebody who was bold enough to walk into a room full of men and tell them, I know for myself, he is risen from the dead. I am alive to tell his story. Good night, everybody. (laughs) I thought that would be amazing. It was a hundred times better than I ever imagined. You always amazing. It was scary for me. <laughs> yeah, so I want to. Oh man, oh so good. Uh, yeah, TD Jakes, he's amazing. He just does such a good job. Uh, we're gonna go back a little bit and then uh, wrap things up today. On the first day of the week, Mary, she's the one that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her, and she's one of the very few. Uh, other gospels say that she went down there with a few other women. Well, it's still dark. It's how the stone had been taken away. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, the one who Jesus loves, he calls himself. So they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and they do not know where they've laid him. I just picture Mary, she's running as hard as she can back to tell Peter and John. And so Peter and John take off without her and Mary's like, oh man, now I gotta run back to the tomb again. And so they get there first. I love this. Peter went with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. We talk about this, how there's this competition between Peter and John. John's a little petty and John wants us to know, but the other disciple outran Peter for all of eternity. I want everyone to know that I am faster than Peter. But he didn't go inside. But he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Now, this is very important. If someone had stolen the body, they wouldn't have taken the time to take off the burial clothes. See, in this time, the Jewish people had a very um, unique burial process. You know, the Egyptians, they would embalm their dead. The Greeks and the Romans, they would burn their dead. But the Jewish people, they would wrap them in these cloths with, with lots of spices and ointments. And then they would lay this kind of towel over their face that was a little bit different. But they see the cloth lying there. If someone had grabbed the body, they would take the whole thing out. So, so why are those cloths lying there? They're left behind by Jesus who left behind his grave clothes. 
And so John is like, what is going on? Why are the grave clothes there? But Jesus is not there. What have they done? But Simon, he's always charging in first. Simon actually goes in, and he saw them lying there. But he's not so sure what to think. My homework for you is to read the next chapter, the final chapter, kind of the epilogue of John chapter 21. And Peter has this amazing breakfast moment with Jesus where he really puts his faith and trust wholly, hardly in Jesus the other disciple, John, who reached the tomb first, he saw and he believed. For some of you all, that's, that's all you need to know. It's just the basic facts of this, and you're like, I believe. Some of you still need some more convincing. I'm still not so sure. I love that John, he believed right away. Peter wasn't so sure. He took a little bit more encounters with Jesus. Then the disciples went back to their homes. You know what's really cool? I never thought about that until this week. Last week we talked about how Jesus on the cross, he's always looking out for others, and he turns to to John, who's the only disciple at his feet, and says, Mom, Mary, woman, this now is your son. And from that moment on, he took her into his house. What does this mean? John got to tell Mary that her son was alive. That's pretty cool. I think it's really neat. But Mary Magdalene, not the Mary the mother of Jesus, stood there weeping, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw the two angels and said, Why are you weeping? They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. John Christosom, uh, one of the early church fathers, he says uh, through tradition, kind of passing on, um, what happened most likely, they believe, was that the angels were talking to Mary, and one of them gave him, her the sign to like turn around. I think that's just, that's, that's just a cool picture. Because it said, said that she turned around. I love that she's talking to the angels in the grave. Where's my Lord? And they're just kind of smiling at her. And they tell her to turn around. And she turns around. And what does she see? She sees Jesus standing there. But she doesn't know it was Jesus. Because he's been restored. He's been made new. His, his face, his body no longer is scarred and broken. It says, whom are you seeking? Supposing her to be the gardener. I love that. We talked last week how our story begins in a garden. And it's going to end in the garden with heaven coming to earth. And then Jesus was buried in this garden. She thinks he's the gardener. And he is. Jesus is the one who prunes. He looks after us with love. She said, sir, if you've taken away, tell me where you've laid him. And then he speaks her name. Maybe this morning Jesus is whispering quietly your name and you feel that stirring in your heart towards him. Something is stirring inside of you. Jesus says, teacher. And she said, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended. The reality is a lot of scholars were not sure exactly what he means about this. The craziest theory I read, I was talking to Ethan about this, was that uh, Jesus left behind his grave clothes. And so he's standing there naked because he's not clothed yet. Um, I don't think that's true. But I thought that was the craziest idea ever of why he said, don't cling to me. So I think we were talking about Ethan and we're like, he left behind his grave clothes. Like, did he go up to heaven and get like new clothes from his closet? Did new clothes just appear? I never really thought about that. Where did he get his new clothes? I don't really know. Maybe that he went to the gardener's shed and that's where he got the gardener's clothes. I'm not entirely sure. But he is on his way toward ascending back to the Father and he says, go tell all the other disciples that I am alive. And she gets to run back again and say, I have seen the Lord. Nobody was expecting nobody that day. Let's go on. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. 
As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, Shalom, my peace be with you now. And these disciples, something changed in them. He said, Receive the Holy Spirit, receive this commissioning. As I have been sent by my Father, even now I'm sending you to be ambassadors of peace, to be ambassadors of bringing the Holy Spirit with you. And those early disciples, they changed the world. 11 of the 12 gave their lives for this. Why would they die for a lie? Why would they die if they made this up? But something changed. They saw that their Savior Jesus really was alive. That is what we need to get in our hearts and minds and souls. I think that Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so isn't enough when we don't have this truth deep down in us. That Jesus really died for our sins. That we are sinners. That we carry this heavy, heavy weight and burden and guilt and shame and we are not basically good. We don't measure up to the perfection of God. And so there's this debt that we owe that we cannot pay. But Jesus on the cross pays that once and for all and extends his free gift of grace to each and every one of us. And then he rises again and commissions us with peace and the Holy Spirit to to be bringers of this. But I think if we don't have that truth that Jesus really rose again, that he's with us, It just becomes another Sunday school story and we walk away from it. This needs to be real to us every day. This is why Paul says we need to preach the gospel to one another, that we are sinners, have such a deep debt, but Jesus paid for it and then Jesus rose again and all his early disciples, they died for it. And this is something worth giving our lives to, that through the cross, through the resurrection, we really can experience grace and forgiveness The chains can be broken, that we can live a life of purpose and meaning. That's what this all means. Just in 2021, I've been thinking about, man, what a heavy year this has been. We started this year. Keith Kingsley, many of you know, part of our community, struggled, lifelong struggle with with drugs. And came back to Jesus, and he was being a part of our online community, and he died in, in a work accident. And Jeremy and I, we, we went up and told his kids that dad had died, and now Wendy, one of our government team members, she's helping care for those boys, and her life has been dr- dramatically affected by that. And then Sean and Shauna, they lost Emerson, their, their baby, a week before she was due, still stillborn, and affected our community. Kim, Jeremy's wife, lost her father. He was fine in December and went downhill with the disease, and he's gone. We've shared our son Joshua just two months ago, got diagnosed with Tourette's. That's tick disorder that has been a huge burden on him that he's been carrying, and it's hard. And uh, so many of you already in 2021 are carrying so much, and if we just do that on our own strength, it will crush us. 
But if we live in the truth that Jesus died and he rose again and he's walking with us and he gives us his peace and he gives us his love and his joy and he commissions us for a purpose, that we're here on purpose and we're not alone in this, but that resurrection is real. And if we preach the gospel to each other, that we are, we are more sinners than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved and forgiven than we could ever comprehend. And man, that is good news. And Jesus calls us into life and grace and let's do that to others. Let's call people into community and and love and forgiveness. And that's why we are here. Amen, church? So let's preach the gospel to each other. Let's reread these gospels. Let's get this resurrection life into us. Because you know what? I am so tired of people being a part of our community and leaving and getting divorced and walking away from their families. I'm tired of people being a part of our community and leaving and leaving their faith in Jesus. And people I grew up with making bad decisions. And wrecking their life because this gospel truth is not in their hearts and minds and souls. And it was just this Sunday school answer. And it wasn't real and authentic. But it has to be real. We're not just playing church, amen? This resurrection is real. These people died and gave their lives for it. And as a community, we need to be preaching this to ourselves. We need to be believing it, amen? Well, we're going to go out of here singing today. I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up. And I just want to encourage you, like, what is your next step? How can you preach the gospel to yourself, to your kids? How can we be reminding ourselves that this is real? And, and, and take your eyes off politics and, 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 and church politics and, and hypocrites and all that stuff and just keep your eyes on Jesus. And I love that the very first person who says the good news is a woman with a sketchy past. And that says that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what's been done to you. Jesus wants to invite you into his family. He has a mission and a purpose for you to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus uses rich, powerful men like Joseph to care for his tomb and Nicodemus and the disciples and everyone has an opportunity to share this news of Jesus. And when you then go to the book of Acts in the early church, everyone shared their needs as, as, as were in common, and they prayed for one another, and they, and they bared one another's burdens. And, and they were there as a community, and they were preaching to each other, man, we are sinners. We have such a weight, such, such guilt. But Jesus on his cross, man, he carried all that shame and guilt. And he wipes it all the way, and then in his resurrection, he empowers us with peace and love and joy, and now that same resurrection life that raised Jesus from the dead can be inside each and every one of us. What's your next step? Maybe it's to get baptized. Just say, yes, I am once again affirming that my allegiance is to Jesus, just like all these early followers of Jesus. Perhaps your next step is to disciple someone through the green book. A few of us are doing this now, and you say, hey, I want to learn more about what is this green book thing? Maybe your next step is, is to just, you know, uh, start reading the Gospels, you know, as a married couple. Just to get, get that Gospel message in your hearts and minds and souls. I don't know. Pray about that. But Jesus wants to bring you his peace. He wants to commission you for purpose because we are here on purpose. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a wonderful Sunday school answer that we're teaching our kids, but we need more than that. We need to authentically, truly believe that Jesus really died and he really rose again. And his early followers were willing to die for that and they wrote down their stories. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus.
you saw that we are messed up, we are sinners, we, we strive to do good, but we fall short so many times. And so you sent Jesus to live the perfect sinless life, not to shame us, but then to go to the cross and able to carry the weight and the burden of all our shame and guilt, all the ways that we mess up, all the times that we don't do the good things that we should do. Jesus carried that all. And we transferred our sin to him and he gives us his righteousness. And his sacrifice covers us. And then he rose again. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live inside each and every one of us. And so God, I just pray for a renewing of the spirit for everyone in here. God, I pray for those who maybe have not yet stepped over that line of faith. God, they would just start a conversation with you to say, you know what, Jesus? I still have a lot of questions, but I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Maybe it's just the start of a conversation you need to have with Jesus. And you still have questions. You're not sure about it all, but you want to start following Jesus. God, I pray for the moms and the dads, the the kids in this room, the adults, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, God, that we would preach the gospel to our children. This isn't just a nice Sunday school story, but Jesus really rose again, and these people wrote down this story, and they died for this. Lord, just empower us with your spirit. Fill us with your peace. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to gather together. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and then we're going to go out of here singing this one last song.